can start making your situation better psychologically. That makes you think clearer, slows your heart down, and then you're going to make better decisions moving forward. We got home super late, kind of fell asleep, going to go back and get in the morning, woke up the next morning and it snowed a foot. He's like, I just feel so calm. Yeah, man, you didn't have traffic honking all night and you didn't have to fight through a line of rude people at Starbucks this morning. The right product didn't exist. You don't need 20 Band-Aids. You know, you just need the right stuff and you want it to be small and you want it to be out of the way, but you need it with you. I just figure get stronger legs, stronger lungs, take a little more gear and find your way out instead of, instead of suffering, you know? This is Christian Schaff of Uncharted Supply and you are listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. There's a lot of people that can pull the trigger on an animal, but they don't know what to do with it after. If you would have told me that a stupid turkey was going to make me get that excited, I'd have told you you were crazy. It's just a skill that you have to perfect over a lot of years. Hunting is a tribal activity. We've lost the tribe. We can't even hunt together anymore. Well, the people that are anti-hunting are usually pro-abortion. So kill the people, save the animals. I just remember riding my horse back to camp with the northern lights and the moose behind me, and I'm like, this is why I've done this. This is as cool as an experience as I will get. Hi, this is Jim Shockey. This is Sam Sohol, the public land bus guy. Hi, I'm Kimmy Greentree. Hi, this is South Cox with the Western Bowhunter Podcast. Hey, this is Ben Dedamonte, a.k.a. Shed Crazy. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey, y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, also hopping right into today's episode. I have with me, joining me today, uh, the founder of Uncharted Supply, Christian Schaff. Christian, thanks so much for taking the time to hop on with me today. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, you know, I always like to kick things off with really, you know, everyone's got a different story. Everyone's got a different background. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit about you and really your introduction to the outdoors. How did you get involved in the outdoors and hunting and fishing and especially in your case, uh, survival? Boy, um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, in Northwest Wisconsin. So, I mean, our town of 2,800 people was 10 miles away. So I was kind of born into it. Um, that said, you know, my parents were young. I was the first born of four kids and there wasn't a whole lot of playtime when I was growing up. I was mostly working, but I would grab my little bike and ride down to the river and try to catch fish when I could. And hunting season, whitetail season was generally, um, you know, me walking through cornfields, driving, driving deer to my dad and my grandpa and <laughs> kind of a thing. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I've always, I've always loved the outdoors. I, I used to really be into snowmobiles. I would, you know, race and I used to test drive for a magazine and all this stuff when I was younger. And, um, you know, I, I, I love nature. I love, I've always loved being out there, but I, I don't know. I would say maybe I took it for granted a little bit because it was just the normal for me, the norm. Um, went to college in Wisconsin. I ended up playing in a band for 10 years. My, my career path has been all over, but I, I've been <laughs> to Iraq 39 times. Um, providing entertainment for the troops over there, whether it was my group or escorting other groups over. I've done work for big brands like GoPro and Harley Davidson. And that led me from, you know, Wisconsin to Minneapolis when I was a musician. Um, and then to Southern California, I was working for a company. And I think, I think I really started leaning in heavily there because it felt so disconnected not to have access to it. I mean, mm -hmm. the, I think the, Hardest thing I could do on a Saturday was like, you know, put my spandex bike kit on and ride my road bike 80 miles through Malibu and climb hills. That's a hard workout, but, um, you know, not being around wildlife, not being in places where you could just get away from people. Dude, really trust me. I, I had to hike Griffith observatory like three <laughs> times a week just to keep myself sane. So I fully understand where you're coming from with that. It's probably 3000 people you passed each way. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, People think, uh, you know, uh, not to rip on Southern California, but people think going to Runyon Canyon is like oh, nature, and that's not nature. That's just a, just a road with a bunch of people on it. You know, I was going to say, I, you know, you talk to people, you probably know how it goes. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm into hiking, all that, the outdoors. And you're like, oh, where do you hike? Runyon Canyon. I'm like, exactly. I feel I, I will fully rip on those people. I have no shame because I have lived there. I can say it. <laughs> um, I'm oh, like, I, I have this conversation all the time because people are just so detached from what actual nature is. And there's a book, the comfort crisis, a friend just gave it to me and talking about, you know, I think he went out with Don, that guy went out with Donnie Vincent for a while. And I haven't read the book yet. I just, I remember hearing a podcast with him and um, I was talking to somebody last night. I'm like, people are doing meditation and yoga and whatever else, you know, to feel centered. And I'm like, I do all those things, archery elk hunting, mm -hmm. you know, like you're controlling your breathing, you're feeling the wind on your face. You are listening at a level. You never listen. You don't talk. It's like Tai Chi, right? You're like, you know, what it is. You're like tiptoeing through the woods and you hear a branch break and you freeze and you're in a position where your muscles are just <laughs> screaming and you realize there's a cow elk looking at you about to bark and you've got to hold that pose for two minutes. And I'm like, I'm like if people would just go do that, they wouldn't have to do all this other stuff where they're trying to like, I don't know, calm themselves or whatever it is. So we went on a way big tangent here, but um, <laughs> uh, you said rabbit holes were okay before we started. So that was a rabbit hole, but yeah, I mean, I, we can go into that ad nauseum later, but I, I just think there's a ton of value in that. So I, I'm in Southern California and 
really missing it and started kind of signing up for some big game hunts. I bought a bow and went elk hunting in Montana with a, you know, a guide service, didn't get anything, had some great encounters. It kind of lit me up, you know, and um, when I was in college, I had spent some time, you know, on ski trips uh, on spring break and that kind of a thing and just decided I always wanted to live in the mountains. So when Uncharted started, uh, I quit my job in Orange County, started Uncharted Supply and um, was like, man, before I get too many employees here, I want to move to where I want to live. And for a lot of reasons, I ended up in Park City, Utah. And so now that I'm here, I mean, I, I can literally catch trout on my way home from work for dinner. Um, I elk hunt before I come to work in the morning during <laughs> archery season. Um, it's world-class mountain biking. Uh, you're always encountering wildlife, you know, elk, moose, mule deer, what have you. And it just, it just feels right. I just love it here. And I love being able to immerse myself, even if it's for three or four hours, you know, before the sun comes up. Um, and so, so I think, you know, it's, I tell people there's just, there's something in your DNA that lights up when you start getting into that world and interacting with animals and nature and learning how to survive and thrive. And, um, I think it becomes addicting a little bit. It's like the more you do it, the more you want it, which I'm sure you <laughs> are, can agree with. Oh yeah. Well, I, I tell people that's why, that's why vegans are always so angry. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> they, 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 they aren't connected with their hunting. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I really feel you, man. Like living in Montana, it's like, I always knew it in my head, but actually once I finally moved out here and having the ability to same thing where you'll just be, you'll, you'll effectively be commuting somewhere or going to run an errand. And it's like, Oh, look, Hey, you know, there's a, there's a fishing, uh, fishing spot right there, you know, like a, a river yeah. access point. And, and because of that, I effectively, my whole backseat is completely unusable because I've got two fly rods. I've got my waders, my boots. I've, I've typically got a cooler or some, something just with enough supplies to effectively where I could just stay two to three days anywhere right. I needed to like comfortably. Yeah. I've gone to the whole deck system and the topper on the truck. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I spent like a whole weekend just packing and repacking, getting that thing perfect. So I've got, I've got whatever I need, you know, and it mm -hmm. changes out with the seasons now or I, I kind of finished my hunting. I got a bull. And so now it's, you know, it's taking that box of camo that rides back there and swapping it out with the mountain bike stuff. And then it'll be ski touring stuff. And, but my fishing stuff always stays in there and my mm -hmm. camping stuff and my jet boil and all that. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's, it's fun. It's a fun way to live. Well, and it's a, I'm kind of at the point now where, you know, you're talking about swapping out the camo. And, you know, I don't know exactly what the seasons are in Utah, but I've started getting more into the different varieties of other hunting as well. Because, I mean, we also have, again, we were talking earlier, this long, long season yeah. here in Montana. That, I mean, there are very few days where you can't, like, be out hunting for something here in yeah. Montana. It's, you know, we've got th this long season for elk with the shoulder seasons elk and mule deer you've got bear and waterfowl i think goes and almost until spring or through spring i gotta i can't even remember when that ends we got upland game we got all this stuff and there's just not a time where where you can't go out you're like i just i just need to go be hunting i need to be doing something connecting with that there's very few times you can't and when you can't i guarantee you can go fishing 
Yeah. And for all these reasons, I think about moving to Montana frequently because <laughs> Park City is getting to be a little developed anymore. But um, no, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, for me, it's <clears throat> I get a little obsessive. So, you know, in the months leading up to elk season, it's just like all I think about. And then it's you have to kind of be full on. Right. And so running a business, it's almost it's almost um, I don't want to say self-preservation, but like taking it out of my truck allows me to like, well, I have to focus back on work now. Like I've, you know, mm-hmm. I get even you. if I'm at work during the day, I mean, my CFO is like, yeah, you're here, but you're definitely a little distracted, you know, <laughs> the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, you just don't get it, man. You got to come out and, you know, have one of those bulls scream in your face from 50 feet away. And you'll, you'll understand very quickly. <laughs> so speaking of being at work, what, tell me a little bit about the genesis of Uncharted, a little bit about the company and how that yeah. came about. So, um, yeah, like I said, I, I, you know, I've climbed mountains and been outdoors most of my life and 39 trips to Iraq where we were basically, I was most of the time guiding people through, uh, between bases, keeping them safe, keeping a plan. Um, I just kind of lived that way. And I took that job in California and I was going to, uh, go to Colorado to Steamboat Springs skiing one new year's with some of my buddies and loaded up my F-150 and, headed in that direction. And it snowed like two inches in the mountains behind Orange County and traffic stopped for like eight hours. And I'm, I'm sitting in my truck with everything I need. I mean, where I grew up, two inches of snow was, it didn't snow, you know, like you had to, if it snowed, it was like six inches or more kind of a thing. So yeah. I'm looking at this trivial amount, trivial amount of snow and miles of cars that can't navigate it. And it just, it just struck me. I was like, wow, like, what kind of a human is this? Like, how, how can these people not, you know, know how to navigate this? And I guess what it came down to is I quickly realized the world's changing on, right. We're getting more natural disasters. We're get things like COVID you've got political unrest and life skills are diminishing. My dad was a farmer and my kid's dad will not be a farmer. Right. Like, I'm, and maybe, I, I mean, as an example, it's just most people's parents are, uh, in the corporate world and they have AAA and Amazon prime and all these things take care of them. And that works so consistently that there's no real need to go out and learn these skills that I learned growing up in a farm until the moment you need them. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of people who suddenly come face to face with something way outside their comfort zone and they have literally no experience and no ability to, to navigate it. And, yeah, that could be a flat tire. That could be a snowstorm. It could be all sorts of things, big or small. And um, I just kind of was blown away as I started digging into the statistics around this and decided, okay, how do I empower people? How do I create something that's going to make people um, be the hero of their own story and, and be able to take care of themselves and their families? And so that's, ever since then, that's been our goal here is just to create products, whether it's a uh, a 72 hour kit for an earthquake, or it's a ultra lightweight first aid kit for hunting or mountain biking or something like that. How do we make sure people have the coverage they need and the instruction and, you know, the organization to help them kind of self rescue and live to see another day and, you know, maybe make a potentially deadly situation, just an inconvenience. And, you know, however much I like to, to rip on Southern California, um, you know, cause I always, I always do say, you know, I laugh about the snow comment. I mean, that's like some serious stuff down there. Yeah. Cause if you, if you 
spit on the freeway it'll you know <laughs> it'll it'll cause a a weather backup for for folks up there and totally um but you know it's i feel like that is a universal problem though when cause people aren't prepared for situations they've never been in before so often you look at just across the u.s you look at this last year in uh earlier earlier this year in texas when when that snowstorm came through and the power went out and people were not at all prepared. They didn't have water. They didn't, you know, have yeah. know how to function. Um, you know, you look at hurricanes in the South, you look all over, there's, there's countless examples of stuff like this. So however much I do like to rip on Southern California, it's, it is, it, you know, you see this prevalent across the United States, across the world for sure. Yeah. Southern, Southern California is just where I was when I came face to face with that. But- oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. Our society, listen, our society, our society is depending more and more on technology and the idea that, you know, you can push a button and somebody will, will come and help. And generally that works, but when it doesn't, it really doesn't. And, you know, I hate to be kind of a fringe business in any way. And we're not trying to just prey on those big extreme and, you know, things that happen, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I think there's a lot of value in, in, thinking ahead and planning and being able to take care of yourself and your family. And I, you know, I always, I always say, you know, in Wisconsin, if there was a weather incident, um, we would go rush out and we would help. If there's a tornado. We'd grab chainsaws and we'd run out and help cut trees down. If there was a snowstorm, we'd plow the neighborhood out. When I was in California, it was a lot of like locking the doors once it started raining. Mm-hmm. And the only way through anything is working together. Right. I mean, it's gotta be, it's got to be a community effort to kind of solve these big problems. And the only way that happens is if you, is if you come from a place of, of, you know, say abundance, right. Where, okay, I feel, I feel comfortable. I can take care of myself. Now I can help somebody else. So for me, that's the big goal. If we can at scale, you know, empower people with the right products and education to get them to, um, to, to come from that place of abundance, then we're, we're making a, a difference, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's our goal. It's pretty simple, but that's what we work on every day here. Now, I think that it's, it's definitely important to make sure you have what you need to take care of yourself, take care of your family and potentially take care of others. And you bring up an interesting point though. Uh, you know, the idea of, you know, everyone, everyone in, in a lot of these areas, again, not just Southern California, but a lot of these more populated, more urban areas, it's immediately like lock the doors. We don't want to see anyone versus, you know, some more rural areas or smaller towns, whatever that may be, you have that, that idea of, Oh, we're all as a community getting together to weather this out, to help someone. Um, I, I I mean, just, and a little anecdote on that. I'm in the process of moving and uh, I have a lot of friends down here in the Bozeman area that, that are fully capable of helping me load up this truck and any of them listening uh, better, uh, <laughs> actually this will probably air after I've, I've moved. So, uh, it, uh, those of you listening that didn't help me move shame on you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't have anyone on the other end, but I'm moving, I'm moving to a little small town in Northern Montana, very small town and just on a, you know, throwing a hail Mary. I went on the little, you know, there's like a hundred local Facebook groups, you know, so-and-so questions or this or that or the other. And I just typed in, I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm going to be moving up. I'm going to be a new resident. I'm, I'm living North of town. Uh, 
I would one, I want to want to just meet people, but two, if there I can offer pizza and beer, if anyone could just help me unload the truck, should take a couple hours. And I I didn't expect a single thing, or I expect somebody to be like, oh, you should check out so and so movers. I got like six different people that are like, yeah, just tell me when. I've got a bunch of guys that we can all come down. I'm like, shoot, I'm gonna have to buy a lot of pizza. But developing that community, I think, is also very important. Getting to know your neighbors, getting to know the people around you. So when you are in those situations, you, you yep. can kind of have that, that community as well. For sure. For sure. There's so many aspects to this. It's a, it's a can of worms, but you got to start somewhere and take some steps. And I mean, even, even you reaching out that way, you instantly have at least people, you know, in a community and man, that can be a game changer in the, in, the, in certain moments. So, oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, especially I'm my, my butt's going to be living way outside of town with nothing else around. So having those connections in Northern Montana is going to be critical, but um, you know, one thing I'd love to talk to you about is, you know, as you've developed these products, all of this stuff, you've, you, I feel like you've developed a keen understanding of the critical, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, but the critical things you need to do one to prepare for you know, disasters or unexpected events, but then kind of once something strikes, what you need to keep in mind kind of maybe in the, those, those first days, um, you know, whether you're stranded somewhere, whether, I don't know, whether inclement weather comes in on a hunt and you get stuck, stuck somewhere, maybe maybe it's a similar situation where you're driving through the snow, you get kind of run off the road a little bit and your car's stuck and it's going to be, you don't know how long it's going to be till, yeah. Help help arrives. What are maybe some of the critical critical things to prepare for that? And then some of the critical things to keep in mind as you're going encountering situations like that. Well, I always tell everybody the most, I think the most important thing is just having a plan, right? So I'm going here, you know, I'm going from, I don't know, I'm going from Park City to um, Seattle. Okay. Well, what's the weather in between here and there? Um, how far am I going? Like, are you worried about, are you, are you on main roads? You on back roads? Like where are the gas stations? You know, I've done cross country motorcycle rides where you're on a sportster with like a less than two gallon gas tank and uh, gas stations are a hundred miles apart from each other. So did you think about that? You know, I just planning, just, just, I, people laugh at me sometimes because I like to drive places and my truck will be probably a little more full than it needs to be with stuff. But man, sure is nice having everything you need for mm-hmm. whatever happens. So that's always the first thing. Um, I think letting somebody know where you're going, what you're doing, there should be somebody looking out for you. I mean, again, I'm not saying you have to call somebody every time you go to the grocery store, but if you're going out somewhere and the weather's bad and you could just call your mom and say, Hey, I think it's going to take about this long, you know, like <laughs> it, it doesn't take a lot, right? Sometimes it's just those, those simple things on the front end that can really change the game in the back. I mean, we sell a lot of products around here. I always tell people, you know, they go, well, Hey, I want an earthquake kit or I want a hurricane kit or I want this kit. The human body needs the same basic things, no matter what, right. You need to stay in a certain temperature range. You can't get too hot. You can't get too cold. Um, you need water. Maybe you need some first aid. Maybe you need some self-protection, some signaling, just having the things you need, depending on your environment <clears throat> can go a long ways it's way easier to stay warm than it is to get warm. Right. So 
think about that stuff, right? Don't let things, don't make a bad situation worse. Like just stay in front of it. Um, I think one of the big challenges a lot of people have going back to the metropolitan existence is, um, you know, adrenaline hits when you're in a, we, we named it uncharted because it's like, these are things you haven't done before, right? It's, you're going into an experience where it's like, man, I, this is new. And when there's something new, adrenaline pumps. And when adrenaline's pumping, you get tunnel vision, you make a bad situation worse really quickly. And if you have a plan and if you have stuff and you can follow instructions and you can start making your situation better psychologically, that makes you think clearer, slows your heart down, and then you're going to make decisions, better decisions moving forward. So, you know, I think that's how I think about stuff on a, on a broad scale. Every environment, every situation is different, but you know, we build, we build all sorts of different products. I carry a 130 gram first aid and gear repair kit. I mean, it's sitting, I'm in my truck. It's sitting right here. It goes with me everywhere. I saved my dog's life with this thing. A couple months ago, we were ski touring and a buddy slam like skied into him and cut his leg and he was spraying blood all over. And I was able to make a tourniquet out of this and bandage him up and get him down. We ski, ski tour every day, you know, every single day, nothing's ever happened. But just thinking ahead and having that was enough to like hold the blood off, get him to the vet and, and save his life, literally. So a lot of times it doesn't take much. It's just being thoughtful about what could happen and being logical about what you want to bring with you. I'm not saying you bring the kitchen sink every time, but to go off and on an adventure or, and have nothing in your hands is, is not the right answer either. So I don't know. It's thoughtfulness, really. You know, I mean, that's where I go back to. No, I definitely, I definitely agree. And I mean, again, you know, as we said earlier, like I'm, I've, my truck is at any given time way more full than it needs to be. Right. Like uh, I, I kind of, I always just wanted to play it because I always like to take, you know, if I'm out somewhere, I'm like, you know, I kind of want to go camping tonight and not have to go then like, okay, I'm going to go pack all my camping gear. Right. And I got a, I got a, all the gear I need in the back of my truck, probably, probably for enough for about three people to set up a, a campsite and uh, uh, and just even on top of that, you know, simple stuff like having a gas can, a full gas can in yeah. the back of my truck. Um, I was, yep. I was on a, I can't remember. I, I had to use it. I think I, I think I used it for someone else. Actually. I think I was filling up somebody else's tank and uh, I had empty. So I had, it was mostly empty. It was mostly empty. And I'm like, Oh, I'll get around to refilling it. You know, I'll get, I'll get around to it. Da, 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 da. So I'm coming back. I was, I was actually coming back from first checking out that house. It's about a six out five, six hour drive and pulled over, got my breakfast. And I was like, okay, back on the road, started, started driving, completely forgot to fill up. And I was, I was real close to empty and mm-hmm. I'm looking, I mean, it's, you know, middle of nowhere, Montana, I'm cruising down and I'm, I'm, just that that uh, gas lights just screaming at me, and I finally finally managed to find this um, this one little gas station and, and got to fill up and of course immediately filled up my gas can right then and there. But the whole time I was thinking I'm like I'm such an idiot. I didn't yeah. think I didn't you know I didn't have all my gear that I always have. I didn't refill that. I said I'd eventually do it and didn't take care of it. Um, but I think so often, you know, when we're stuck in those situations, it's important to, you know, you run into something like that. Say you do run out of gas. Okay. That day, when you're, when you get everything sorted that day, do you go out and buy a gas can, fill it up and put it in the back of your truck? 
Or do you just say like, yeah, that's something I need to keep in mind someday. Right. I mean, complacency kills and just doing those things on the front end makes such a difference. Right. Filling your gas tank up. I mean, classic example, we, we saw a little battery jump starter. They'll jump an eight liter diesel. And I don't know how many stories I've heard from people that were out hunting for a weekend, left their dome light on or something Mm -hmm. or a door ajar and they come back and they're miles from cell service. Right. And their truck is just clicking and that thing starts a truck up and they can drive home. So just having that one little piece with, it was a two minute issue, right? Otherwise you come out and it's dark and it's freezing and now you're walking on freeway. I mean, you know what I mean? Like there's just yeah. so many things that can happen then from a very simply fixable situation. So yeah, man, I, <clears throat> I'm definitely not a doomsday guy. I think, um, I got my truck pretty stuck last winter and one of my friends was like giving me a hard time. And I said, yeah, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. And they were like, you mess with the bull a lot. you know. <laughs> and I, I think, I think that's one of the things that happens with guys like you and me is like the ski touring example. I ski tour every day. And when you do it 20 times or 50 times, you start going, well, nothing's going to never happen because it never does. <clears throat> but it's almost more like if it happens one in a hundred and you're at 95, you know, it's going to get you eventually. So it's just being vigilant and not being complacent and just being thoughtful is really it. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just, it's just dotting I's and crossing T's I think is really important. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. So, uh, you know, you kind of, you touched on a little bit, you know, getting your getting your car stuck once. Um, have you ever run into to any situation, say in the woods, out hunting, in these moments where you've, you've had to implement maybe a plan you've put into place or, you know, something that you kind of, you would consider more of an emergency situation. Oh boy. Um, I had to think about that. You know, I, I was hunting in British Columbia a few years back, shot a really big moose and we were, we were a long ways from camp. We were out past where they were doing, sheep hunting camp, you know, moose hunting, like we were way up in the mountains and, um, uh, you know, we, we kind of quartered him out, didn't have the, we had a couple horses back at camp. So, you know, we left it to go back and get the horses and we got back that night super late. I mean, it was just me and one other guy. And if anybody's ever quartered up a, a huge bull moose, it's, that is a, that is a big project, right? So we got home super late kind of fell asleep, going to go back and get in the morning, woke up the next morning and it had snowed a foot. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, the guy I was with was young and kind of started freaking out. You know, the horses were slipping. Things had kind of went from rain to snow that night. So, you know, usually you'd tie the horses in a string and lead them in. And then the back horse would slide into the next horse and knock them over and worried about the horses. And, um, you know, again, maybe this isn't the best example, but it's just one where it's like all the landmarks were covered in snow. Now our paths were covered in snow. Everything was covered in snow and getting out and getting back. It was, you know, I dropped a GPS pin and I had, um, um, we were able to just kind of work our way through it, just slowing down. You know, one of those things, 
slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? Just slow down what you're doing. Better to be safe and do this right than to rush through. And, and it took, you know, a couple days to get that moose out, but we did it without anything major happening and um, kind of used every tool we had to navigate things and figure out, figure out a way around it. Another time, actually, <clears throat> I was elk hunting in, in Montana and um, I was with my dad and a guide and we had gotten this big kind of bowl, bowl area. And my dad's a little bit older. So I was going to go around the long way around the bowl and then they were going to go around the short way and kind of meet later in the day. And um, that morning we went out, it was like 3 a.m. We hiked for a couple hours out pitch black. I was just kind of blindly following my guide, not really tracking uh, where we were going or understanding. You know, it's dark. You've never been there before. Mm-hmm. And I got back to where I was supposed to meet them and they weren't there. And I thought, well, maybe they're over there. Go a quarter mile this way. They're not there. A quarter mile that way. They're not there. And it's getting cold. Sun's going down. And fortunately, when we got to camp, I dropped a pin where, where base camp was. And I just looked at my Garmin watch and I just said, take me home to that pin. And it, you know, pointed and said seven miles that way. And I just, just as the crow flies, walked back into camp. But you know, setting that plan ahead of time and, and having that information, I don't want to say it was life-saving, but maybe, right? I mean, who knows which direction I go in or if they find me out there, if, if, if you're totally backwards. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, little simple things can make a big difference. And um, that's a couple examples there. No, that's one, that's one lesson I, I've always, always learned is, you know, regardless of how simple you think the hunt's going to be, whatever that is, you know, I always drop a pin at my truck. I always drop a pin at my tent. You know, if I set down my gear, I drop a pin there, you know, and then at the end of hunting season, I've got a whole lot of pins to clean up because I never remember to delete them after the fact, but being aware of your surroundings. And like you said, having that plan is definitely one of the most critical things because, you know, when you're excited, when that adrenaline's pumping, as you said, you're not going to be thinking clearly you're going to end up, if you're, if you're just able to follow these steps and do your, your routine that you, you preset to some extent, uh, you don't have to make those decisions in the, in the heat, uh, heat of it all. Right. And I mean, I think we've all been there before. We're like, Oh yeah, I'll remember this spot, you know, because <laughs> there's this one tree here that does this thing and this tree. So I'll just remember it's right here. Yeah. You walk a hundred yards and you cannot find your way back. <laughs> it's like, was it that tree or that tree? the woods are amazing because every time you take a step, everything shifts. Right. And, um, yeah, it just, it can, uh, it can escalate quickly if you're not, if you're not careful. So that's what makes it fun. So, um, with uncharted, you know, you guys have a a lot of, a variety of products here. Um, what's, uh, from a hunting perspective, what, what do you have that, that maybe uh, hunters might be interested in uh, looking at that might be a good, good product for them to take into the, into the woods? There's a couple. And I think that's partially because I think about hunting a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the little first aid and gear repair kit, we call it the triage kit. Um, I was telling you about that earlier. This was actually something that started between a conversation uh, between Jason Hairston and I. Uh, Jason started Kuyu and Sitka. Um, <clears throat> they wanted to build an ultra lightweight first aid kit and um you know jason unfortunately passed away as we had started on that project but it ended up we completed it we interviewed a hundred gore-tex ambassadors in a facebook group and spent a lot of time talking to people and you know the right product didn't exist and a lot of times it's just that you don't need 20 band-aids you know you just need the right stuff and you want to be small and you want to be out of the way but 
but you need it with you. But the big aha was really that um, gear repair was almost more critical than first aid most times. Like if you're ski touring and your binding breaks and you can fix it with a zip tie and some duct tape and, and get down that, that keeps you from having to post hole out through the mountains and the sun goes down. Now you're sweaty and now you're burning calories at five times as fast and you freeze and, and then first aid starts to come into play. Right. So, you know, that's my, that's my number one recommendation always. It's, it's like, it's the weight of an iPhone. It fits in your chest pocket or your cargo pocket or whatever, and just keep it on you because you just never know. It's, it's enough to, to save the day when you need it. Um, beyond that, we've got a really cool pack raft. It's called the rapid raft. It, um, weighs less than four pounds and inflates and I can inflate one in about 30 seconds and it'll hold 400. So wow. that's a pretty fun one. If you're like out here up in the Uinta mountains, like, you know, fishing on the small Alpine lakes, you can literally take a boat up there and go where no, no man has gone before. Um, if you're shooting a, you know, shooting an animal and want to take it down a river, it works really well for that. People have done class three rapids in it. That's a sweet product. Um, and then we, you know, our, our top selling product is, is our, our Zeus battery jump starter. And I alluded to it earlier. It'll, it'll jump an eight liter diesel and even bigger, but gosh, dead batteries happen all the time. You know, if you're uh, if you're on a wakeboard boat and you have the speakers and the bilge pump or the, the ballast pumps going and too long, or you're, you're trolling and you've got a depth finder going in your boat or, you know, you leave a dome light on in your truck. Um, that type of stuff happens and just getting that engine going again can be such a, such a day changer. So that's a super, super um, popular and effective product for us. You know, a lot of the, the dirt bikes now are electric start. Those batteries can die pretty quickly if you're doing a snow bike and those little batteries get cold. Uh, we have a lot of guys use them for that. And so that's, that's three right there that I just, I keep with me all the time. I love them and um, they come in really handy. Absolutely. And it's it, those, those jump, jump starters are a life changer. I, you yeah. know, my old, my old Jeep, that thing, you know, you looked at it wrong and the battery would just drain. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I use those many, many, many times in my, in my time owning that Jeep. Um, and just so often we use so many electronics these days compared when we're hunting and, and some of them are great. And yeah, they, they have great safety features, whether it's, you know, those Garmin inreaches, um, whether it's, uh, you know, our GPS units, whether it's, I mean, heck my headlamps are rechargeable at this point, right. you know, there right. it's, I use battery packs for just about everything. And, you know, I think we're a lot more reliant on, on power these days as we hunt than we used to be. Oh, absolutely. Technology is not going away. I mean, Garmin just released a, a new bow site. looks pretty cool, you know, and it, again, takes batteries like everything's mm -hmm. kind of taking some power so having access to that can be really 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 important and you know solar panels are awesome but man you need sunlight and a lot of times when hunting's good it's not the brightest sunniest day yeah. and um you're not in the brightest sunniest environment you might be in the trees or socked in somewhere or whatever so having a little backup of that is, is pretty critical. And even, I mean, I've had those solar panels too, and I've had some nice, bright, sunny days. And, you know, I'm not talking about the super cheap ones. I did, I had some pretty high end, uh, high end panels that I picked up and I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm still barely charging a battery pack, even on a full, full right. day of sun with that, right. you know, 
it'll it'll extend the life of what you got a little bit, but that's not you're not going to rely on that to keep your your GPS charged for the for a whole ten days out there. Totally agree. Totally agree. You need a pretty big panel to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, and I uh, and the people that have been listening to the podcast for a while they know they know a lot more of my story, but uh, you know, I've been hunting for about uh, gosh four or five years, five years I think at this point. And uh, my very, I, my very first real hunt was I decided to do a solo DIY, just archery elk hunt in Idaho, nice. and it it was about as disastrous as you could pos- you could possibly imagine. Like everything that could go wrong, did go wrong, and it was an exercise. And uh, the only reason I made it out of there was because I had a backup plan, uh, because I knew what to do in advance and had people queued up to help me if I needed it. I ended up going in it had been in like the, the high sixties, low seventies for the past several weeks. And it was supposed to stay the same. And then as I'm going out, this freak snowstorm blows in. So I go from, you know, and, and I was not prepared for snow. I had been planning for this early September hunt, right? Not at all expecting snow. And, uh, so I didn't have the right gear for that. I picked up some, but, um, I didn't have the right gear for the snow. And then I ended up tearing both of my knees and having, and I'm like seven, depending on the way you come in around seven miles, seven miles deep, uh, the way I hiked in. And it was just, if I didn't, if I didn't have that in reach, if I didn't have a buddy to, to come get me. And if I didn't have enough of those supplies, cause, uh, you know, I didn't know how long it was going to be before he could come in and get me. I would have been in a lot more trouble than I was. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the mountains are amazing because they're unpredictable, right? Uh, we all like those perfect, cool fall days up in there and where everything is comfortable, but that's probably not the case as often as we'd like. I mean, I don't know how many times, like I was just talking about that moose hunt, woke up to like a foot, foot and a half of snow. It's like, that's a totally different world to navigate than, you know, 40 degrees and sunny. So oh, yeah. things can change quickly. And I, I think that's the beauty of it, but it's also, it's also something you have to really, really think about and plan for. Um, I mean, I'm probably the guy my friends know is carrying probably a little more gear than I need, but gosh, I like being comfortable and sleeping better. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many times they come to me and be like, Hey man, do you got that one thing? And yeah, here you go. <laughs> you know? So I just figure get stronger legs, stronger lungs, take a little more gear and find your way out instead of, instead of suffering, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll suffer on the, I'll suffer on the front end rather than during. I'd, I'd much rather, you know, I think that, that's so much, I think of the reason a lot of us do this too is, you know, we talked about people so often being disconnected and uh, I think there's something unique about being in the woods. And I, I may have talked about this before on the podcast, but there's something unique about being in the woods, especially being in the mountains, like where you said it's, it's unpredictable, you know, the decisions you make are so much more important. And so often in life, like they, we put this huge importance on decisions we make that really aren't that critical to our lives. You know, it's like, what am I going to do for lunch today or dinner or 
you know, what am I going to say to this person? Oh, I don't want to have this conversation with my boss or my employee or my coworker. And, you know, we agonize over this stuff. I do it all the time. You know, I'm, you know, I was just talking about, I'm having anxiety attacks over dealing with all this stuff all at once. And mm-hmm. I think there's something so amazing about going out into the woods and the decisions you make are actually critical. They are, they make a difference in your life. Every choice you make while you're out there in the woods, you know, whether it's to go left or right or to where you're going to camp or, you know, your decision to bring that extra piece of gear. Um, Yeah. I think that's part of why it feels so invigorating. I'm, I, I always joke. I have a couple of, I call them Ted talks, you know, like topics that I always kind of go back to. And one is comfort zones. And the opportunity associated with it, you know, the bigger your comfort zone, the more opportunity you have. And I think really what's happening with society these days is people's comfort zones are actually getting very small. And as they get small, you know, they start to raise the red flags when they are freaking out about something that doesn't feel comfortable to them. I mean, I really believe in forced voluntary suffering as much as you can, because to your point, it makes everything else easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I, when I was going to Iraq a lot, you know, we used to, it was years ago now and we didn't even have laptops. We'd just find a computer lab at a base once in a while and check in on Facebook and see what's going on. I'll never forget this moment. A girl that I, I worked with previously at an ad agency had, had written worst day ever. And then somebody said, Oh no, what happened? She's like, we, we got to the lake when the battery in our boat was dead and we couldn't go out in the boat. And all these people like, oh my gosh, you know, and like literally an hour before that, I had met four troops that had had an IED blow their truck up and they were missing body parts. And, you know, worst day ever, boat, boat battery's dead. I, you know, if that's your comfort zone, um, you're going to have a lot of problems in life. Right. And these guys mm-hmm. were positive and upbeat and looking forward to life and what was going on. I just, again, it's just, it's all about perspective and experience. And I think that, I think that nature teaches you that better than anything, especially in the society we live in today. So I'm with you hundred percent, man. It's, um, it's, it's not just about killing an animal and a grip and grin picture or anything like that. It's, it's the journey. The journey is the destination. I think a lot of times when you're hunting, you know, it's, it's planning for it and it's thinking about it. It's getting out there and it's testing yourself and it's challenging yourself when you're tired and kind of seeing what you're made of and pushing your boundaries a little. And then you, then you come back to your office Monday morning, sit down at your desk and it just, it just makes blown through emails and being comfortable. So easy, right? Mm-hmm. Because you just suffered for a week in the mountains. Um, you want a coffee, go and push the button. It's, it's kind of nice. <laughs> you don't have to go to the lake and boil and then, you know, the whole thing. So I'm totally with you there. That's a, that's a big thing I believe in. Oh yeah. It's when, you know, when your comfort zone is from, you know, a to, you know, or here to here and suddenly it, you know, something just slightly outside of that happens. It it seems disastrous. Somebody else's comfort zone may fully (laughs) include that along with 10 steps beyond it. And the stuff, you know, the stuff that makes them slightly uncomfortable is your worst day ever. You know, it's like, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I mean, I know, I know I've been on the opposite end of it. I mean, I lived in 
grew up in Southern California, lived in Los Angeles my whole life. I did not do anything that made me uncomfortable. Nothing, you know, right. and it. Uh, well, it's, it's hard to actually. I mean, I, I joke all the time. I, I never understood Spartan races until I got out there. And then it was like, I remember just being like, man, I, I just, I don't remember the last time I was dirty, you know, like, I don't remember the last time I was muddy. And I think like, you know, like not to rip on Spartan race, I think they're fun, but gosh, people are paying money to run, run through some farmer's field and slide through cow crap because they just want to feel alive. You know, our lives are so sterile. Um, and I think there's just a, we're at the end of the day, we're human and our bodies and our DNA and everything is like, there's some deep seated stuff that like wants, wants things, you know, you want nature and you want, you want to sweat and you want to get dirty once in a while. And so I just think it's really important to, uh, to get that in as much as you can. I, oh yeah. Without a doubt. Um, and it's, it's really funny. I, you know, I've taken a lot of people out camping and, and fishing and, and whatever it is. And I've even people that, that are like, you know, this isn't my thing. You can tell and, and, and talking with them, they still feel that connection. Like there's still something in them that mm-hmm. that's connected with that. They're like, yeah, I know I like comfort a little too much, but uh, is is effectively what they're saying to me. Um, but you can tell there's still, there's still something in them that connects to it. And I don't care who you are. You, you have that kind of core. There's something in your core. I guarantee it that wants oh, to yeah. be outside, wants to be challenged, wants to prove, and especially as guys, man, if we if we're not given the ch- the chance to to prove ourselves, to challenge ourselves, to kind of test our metal, I you know that's that's I feel like why so many people, uh, so many men commit suicide. That's why uh, so there's so much depression, stuff like that. Is you're never tested. You're just yeah living the same every day. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And in addition to that, I mean, I've had friends come out to visit from big cities. And I remember one 4th of July, I had a bunch of friends over and my buddy walked out into the living room and I've got a pretty nice view of the mountains. And he's like, he's like, I just feel so calm. (laughs) You know, he'd been out there for like 24 hours. And I'm like, yeah, man, you didn't have traffic honking all night and you didn't have to fight through traffic and a a line of rude people at Starbucks this morning. And none of those things are like life-changing, but if you've got a hundred points in the day and everyone keeps dinging you one or two, like eventually you're going to feel it, you know, Mm -hmm. like your stress level rises and gosh, I, uh, yeah, I just, I think there's so many applications as to why that existence is so important, or at least those experiences are getting, getting that into your, your habits and your routine. Um, I know we're beating a dead horse here, but gosh, I'm, I'm totally with you there. It's something I really heavily believe in. (laughs) One last, one last anecdote with that is I, I, you know, your buddy uh, just reminded me growing up, I grew up in orange County and our house wasn't that far from the freeway. So, I mean, you could hear the freeway constantly. You could, you we I would always play a game. It's like, okay, is it a semi truck on the highway or is it an earthquake? Like <laughs> it's Southern California, so it could be either. Um, but people would people would come visit from out of town and they'd be like, How do you guys sleep with all this noise? And I'm me, I'm like, what noise? I you know, I didn't hear it. 
And then it wasn't until I went to college and moved, was living up in Northern California, kind of even where I was, it was like way on the outskirts of town. And it was like oppressively silent almost at first. Like it was, and I was like, I get it now. I fully understand what people were talking about. Cause you came out and that silence and that serenity, it was like, it was eerie at first. And then, you know, now I've come to absolutely just cherish it. Like right. that's all I want. Um, right. Yeah, that's an amazing thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm just, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, I need to, I need to go camping this weekend <laughs> right now. Oh yeah. Just drop the podcast and leave. <laughs> um, so one thing uh, I always like to ask is, so say, you know, say you're talking to someone and one way or another, they find out you're a hunter, you're an outdoorsman, you know, you love all of this stuff. And they're like, you know, I really feel that. Like I always like felt the need to go out and kind of do this stuff. And I felt the calling, but I don't know, man, there's so much to learn, so much to prepare for. It's just, it's too intimidating for me. I don't know if it's something I can do. What, what kind of inspiration or words of wisdom would you give that person? Oh, I don't even know if I would approach it that way. I mean, I, yeah, I have people that come up to me and say, oh man, I I love that sounds so cool, but I don't even know where to begin. You know, my dad didn't hunt. I've never been around it. Um, I'm a, I'm a believer in being a conduit to it and, and being a mentor. And I've done that this year with a couple of my friends, in fact, but it's also one of those things where I like, you know, total archery challenge. We have one in park city and around here. It's for those that don't know, there's a bunch of foam, you know, deer, elk, moose, whatever targets all over the mountain. You hike around and shoot at them from different ranges. And, um, I had a couple of friends that really wanted to hunt. I said, okay, guys, we're going to meet every two weeks and, and shoot our bows. And we're going to sign up for this. And to me, that was like level one, right? Like, let's see how serious they are. If they're going to buy a bow, cool. They're going to start coming every other week and shooting. Let's see if they're practicing on their own in between. Let's see if they'd sign up for the event. And if they kept doing that, then I kept, I kept making myself fully available to help them. Whether I was like, Hey man, I'm going down to Shields today or Sportsman's Warehouse. Come with, cause I'm going to get some stuff. I want to show you some, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they have to be at my beck and call by any means, but you want to see they're putting out effort yeah yeah you want to see how bad they want it because i think everybody likes the idea of you know going out and harvesting some big bull elk but they don't realize that most of us takes three or four years of just extremely hard work and a lot of failure to finally achieve that um my one buddy brian i took out this year first weekend we went out and we didn't see any bulls, saw a bunch of cows. We hiked way out long. I mean, we put, you know, 20 miles on with pretty heavy packs and we got back in the truck and he's like, he's like, there needs to be a different word for hunting. He's like, we like hunt for the right couch and we hunt for deals. He's like, that doesn't even belong in the same stratosphere of what we just did. <laughs> and I was like, good. I'm glad you're seeing that. Right. Um, so for me, I, I don't want to say it's dangerous, but it's, I don't think it's effective to just tell somebody, yeah, man, go do it because it is, it's drinking through a fire hose. There's so much information you need a mentor. And so I think my perspective has always been, I'd rather help one or two people a year um, and do it right and really get them into it 
And then maybe that, you know, that has a cascading effect, right? As they get better, they can, they can mentor somebody else. I kind of have always done it that way. I mean, if you, if you're really into it and you don't, you don't have a mentor, I mean, I think that's just another little hurdle you have to overcome in, in finding one in figuring out the information. There's my, my buddy, Nick here that works with me was just talking about Randy Newberg. And I know you just interviewed him and he said, he said, yeah, I wrote him a letter. Cause like I, you know, my dad didn't hunt and I literally learned how to hunt watching his YouTube videos. He's like, Randy wrote me a three page letter back. You know, <laughs> I mean, there, there are ways if you want to do it right. The contents out there, it may take a little longer. Um, I've taught myself a majority of what I know. You just, and then it's more valuable. It's mm-hmm. man, there's, there's a lot of guys out there that post pictures with big elk and try to pose as big men. And the reality is the the four wheeler and the guide are right behind them leaning against the fence. <laughs> and I can guarantee you their elk may be way bigger than the one I got. And they feel one tenth as good as what it feels like to just go out by yourself after three years of, of failures and learning and trying different things and finally making it happen, you know? Oh yeah. And so that's, that's always my perspective is like, I, you know, if you want to go shoot one, just go pay somebody 20 grand and go do it if that's what you want to do. But if you want to do it the way that I think is meaningful and it's going to change your life, it's not a short path. It's a long road and you're going to get frustrated a lot, but if you love it and you want to do this, it's going to be worth it. Oh yeah. I mean, it took me, uh, you know, normally as, as we discussed, normally I've got my heads up on the wall behind me and I'd like to point out, but took me four years to finally get my, finally get my elk, my first elk. Um, and it was a a very hard fought four years of learning and improvement. And finally, uh, you know, with the help of a good buddy guiding me, uh, I was finally able to make it happen. Um, I have another, I have another guest coming on. Uh, I want to say next week, uh, I'm going to be talking with him and he's been a guy that's been listening to my podcast for, a long time. Um, he, uh, he, you know, wanted to get into hunting and he has been hunting for years. Hasn't had any success. Has not seen any success, nothing, nothing, nothing. And he's been working and fighting hard. And this year he finally filled his first tag. Not only did he fill his first tag, it was on a freaking moose. So like what, I mean, talk about a cool first, you know, and it was a decent side, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a cow or anything like that. It was a decent bull moose. And uh, I'm excited to talk to him and hear that story and hear about that struggle. And cause I identify with that. And I think other people yeah. identify with that. It's real. And that's what it we doesn't connect matter with. how big that moose is. Cause every time he looks at it, he's going to remember all the work he put in and it's a, it's a, just, it's a huge accomplishment. Right. Nobody understands it unless you've tried it. And uh, that's, a, I love those stories. You know, I love, I love people that grind to me. That's awesome. All right. So if folks wanted to find you online, follow along as well as find uncharted, uh, where can they hunt all that down? Yeah. No pun intended. Right. My Instagram <laughs> is just at Christian Schaff, uh S C H A U F is my last name. Uh, Uncharted's at uncharted supply. Uh, at Uncharted Supply or at Uncharted Supply Co. I should check really quick. Jeez. Yeah. Um, or a website. I mean, literally, you just type in Uncharted Supply and we spend so much on ads, uh, we should show up. So <laughs> I just pretty if, easily. If the, web, part- the website is unchartedsupplyco.com. 
Yeah. And the Instagram is Uncharted Supply Co. Gosh, so same with right same there. with Facebook. Yeah. Twitter's on un, Twitter's Uncharted Supply. I'll give you that one. I'll give you yeah. that one. <laughs> There's too many characters. If I yeah. You can't fit the co. Um, right. Uh, yeah. Find us anywhere there. I mean, we we really pride ourselves on being accessible, and um, we've got a really great team here that tries to answer every question. And you know, we're we're trying to we're as much mis- mission based as we are trying to build a business here. So we really enjoy the conversation and people stopping by and um, welcome anybody to do that if they're ever in Park City. So fantastic, Christian. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to hop on. It was great chatting with you. You too, man. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Also, y'all, make sure you go give Christian a follow. Check out Uncharted Supply Co. Uh, They've got some really great products, uh, you know, great for keeping at home, keeping in your truck, keeping in your hunting pack, whatever that happens to be. So give give them a look. I actually really want to check out this raft. It looks like a really cool product that I could find some use for up here. But y'all, that'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from The Wild Initiative family, and more. 